Hello and welcome back to Songs in the Key of Life, where each episode we spend time with a different person, any person from anywhere, to find out what are their top five songs of all time and why they've chosen them. I'm Al Reed and today I'm with a woman who's slightly giggling in the background, grew up on the Gold Coast, spent many of her crucial years in London and now makes Melbourne her home. Welcome, Prue. <laughs> Thanks, Al. All right, before we get to the tracks uh, and why you've chosen them, how much sleep did you lose choosing only five? I lost a full day's work. Okay. Very distracted. And I think I was up until about 2 a.m. just testing them, really going over my rationale. And I think as I handed them in to you, I made a couple of tiny changes. That, that were changes in order, weren't they? They were so in order. So it, it's a curated list. In order, but also artist uh, song selection. Great, great. So um, uh, you're welcome. Uh, and <laughs> let's get started. So first track, why, who, give me all the gritty detail. All right, so it's 1995. I'm at home on the Gold Coast. I'm 15. Uh, I don't know how well you remember the 90s in music, but 1995 was... Massively. A, yep. Look, it was a confusing time for me because what was on offer was either grunge. This is on the Gold Coast, mind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. There, was, there was grunge, which was fine, but wasn't really my jam. And then there was a hell of a lot of gangster rap, which might surprise you, was very popular at the all-girls school I went to. It was? Very. Wow, okay. And I tried to like it. Yeah. I really did. But again, it wasn't my jam. Yeah. Just both of those options felt quite grim and not very hopeful. Yeah, a little nihilistic and... Yeah, yeah. great yeah. words. Uh, and at the same time in the background, there was this sort of music scene happening in Brisbane. It wasn't quite... It hadn't quite sort of hit the big time yet, but it was happening... The top song in Australia that year was Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. Gotcha. Mm. What a time. Yeah, okay. And there was, you know, there was a there was a lot of Mariah and Celine Dion kind of happening at the time. Yeah. But I just I just couldn't connect with any of that music. So my big brother is away at university in Tasmania and he comes home once a year and every time he'd come home he'd bring home music with him. And I can remember in nineteen ninety three he brought home Ronnie Jordan's The Quiet Revolution. I think it is. Right. It had the jackal on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's very cool. And then in 1995, he's come home with this big old stack. There was a good scene in the West Wing where CJ Craig uh, does the jackal. She does a dance and a uh, mime to the jackal in her trailer. It's so good. In fact, not in her trailer, in her office. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's very good. Very smooth. It's the only song I remember off that album. Fair enough. <laughs> So Harley's come home, that's my brother, and he's brought home Different Class by Pulp. Yep. The Great Escape by Blur. What's the Story Morning Glory? Oasis. Caesar's Palace, who are a Swedish band. Primal Scream, give up but don't give up. And he also brought I Should Coco by Supergrass. Great. And so while he's away talking to mum and dad in, a, in another room, I've pulled out my little portable CD player and I've, I've popped it on and it just blew my mind. Yeah. Which is such a cliche, isn't it? Big Brother's bringing home music. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, that's okay. That's, that's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. So he basically brought the British New Wave to your ears. He did. I had no way of hearing it before he brought it home. 
I was living in London around that time. Ooh. So 92, definitely, and then later in 96 or something like that. So was, that was definitely what was going on in London all through that period. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I had no, no view of this at all. I just put this music on and there's those opening chords, the piano, and these guys just sounded so happy and silly and they, they sounded like they hadn't sort of washed in a month. Yes. And they sounded hairy. Yeah. And they were very, very hairy. <laughs> right, okay. And they were just having so much fun. And I, that clicked with me. That's That sort of made much more sense to me than listening to, I guess, what else was on offer. And I just, oh, my God, I did not hand that CD back. Pulp also stayed with me. Uh, it's it, very, this track in particular, um, All Right, the Supergrass track, is... Um, it's, it's super positive, isn't it? It just takes you straight away. And it's sort of a, a bit Beatles-y as well. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Beatles weren't really played in our house. Uh, I don't know why. I'll yeah. have to question my parents on that. But this was just, I'd never heard anything like it. And when you listen to it now? I still love it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it still hits in the same way. All of these songs do. They, yeah. just, they just don't age. And I just... It also reminds me when I was finally old enough to go and see them live, which I did all the time, because they, they toured a hell of a lot out here. I think they loved it. Just of feeling of just that freedom and that positivity and that optimism and the, the sense that there were some really hairy British guys out there just deeply appealed to me. Tell us about the uh, hairiness. Uh, what, what's the attraction there? I don't know. Like I a can't. flocculent man? <laughs> flocculent Gaz Coombs has these massive mutton chops. Yeah. And he's just a fantastic front man. Yeah. And uh, great eyes. And just, I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's just deeply appealing. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I think we can hear that in your voice. All right, nice one. Track two, what is it? Who's the band? Tell me about it. So track two is Faithless. We come one. And uh, so we're skipping ahead to probably 2003. Those interim years, I've gone to university and studied journalism, which I always wanted to do And uh, at, at journalism school, I guess, at university in Queensland. We were told a couple of things. One, that I would never make it on TV with hair as curly as mine. Right. TV just wouldn't have a bar of me. Okay. Number two is if any of us ever wanted to make it on mainstream network TV, we would have to apply for and desperately hope we got a cadetship way out in the boondocks, way out in the country, where yep. we would go and just cut our teeth and make our mistakes and do death knocks and all sorts of all sorts of stories and then hope that our work was impressive enough that a network in a capital city would tap us on the shoulder. And so this is doing like Win or what used to be Win and those regional right. Channel 7, Channel 9 ones yeah, in Australia. Yeah, or on a newspaper or on the radio. Yeah. I think in Melbourne it might have been a bit different. I think there was more community sort of opportunities. Yeah, yeah. But still... In Brisbane, the expectation was if you wanted to be one of the three types of journalists that you could be at the time, because it's pre-internet. Yeah, get in the car and drive. That's it. And I just knew I did not want to do that. That was not for me. I'd been reading The Face magazine, you know, having really fallen in love with the British. And I didn't... I kind of knew that that type of journalism wasn't my jam, and I knew that there was something else I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that was lying in the UK. It's also the only place you could get a working visa. So things were sort of almost decided for me. Yeah. But um, we had a family friend who was a journalist in Germany who said, you know, if 
Prudence wants to come and, you know, do some work experience. Ah, Prudence, to come along, no problem. <laughs> then he would help me do a bit of work experience in Germany, which was massively helpful because I don't speak much German. Great. I didn't speak any at that time. And then uh, he would hook me up with some some guys who were in London at the time that I could get some work experience with. So I did. I went over and ended up working for the drums uh, in London as a producer for European TV. So it wasn't just these German guys that I was working for who were they were great fun, but it was all sorts of European broadcasters who used us as a facilities house. They would call us up and say we want to do, because the, the Iraq, the invasion of Iraq was happening at that time, they said we'd like to do an interview with this MP who's crossed the floor against Blair. And so we, the company um, that our little business was a part of was extremely well respected. And so we could just bring up MPs and get interviews. And so I found myself... N- not in regional Australia or regional Queensland doing death knocks, but actually in the centre of quite the, important stuff. Yeah, the centre of the world, really. Yeah. That's what it feels like when you're there. And, you know, interviewing MPs in the morning and then doing a doing a red carpet event in Leicester Square that, that evening and you know, interviewing George Clooney and, and yeah. those sorts of people. And it was... And is that when you heard this track? No, so... My brother, again, had introduced me to these guys and when I was thinking of this list, I thought it's the one that is the most appropriate because the backdrop of all those things that were happening with work was also that I'd gotten off the plane in London. My brother, he was working there at the time, said, I've just got to go back to my office and pick up some stuff. Yeah. So I've gone back with him off the, off the plane from Germany, landed in Heathrow and sitting in his little reception area and he's brought down one of his friends, a gorgeous girl called Kate, and a, a nice young boy from Brisbane called Dan, right? who uh, I fell in love with and we married um, later on. So this song to me just completely sums up that energy and the euphoria and the experience of being in London and yep. doing that work uh, and, and sort of meeting Dan and all of that, but also going to see Faithless live many, many times in London at the Brixton Academy and that feeling of being a part of a huge crowd of people moving, which yes. is sort of like London as well. It is. It's part of this. Yeah. And it's, it still gives me goosebumps when I hear this. It's such a fantastic track. Yeah. I, I mean, just listening to it, I just went London, dance floor, 90s, just wave of euphoria. And, and you know, I, I remember having a friend who, you know, how are you going in London? He goes, oh, fine. Monday, Tuesday, boring, 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 no money. Wednesday, yeah, starting to get better. Thursday, ooh, pretty good. Friday, Saturday, party, party, party. Oh, Sunday, I'll oh, come down again. It's sort of this <laughs> roller coaster of every week that's the same thing. Yep. And this kind of is an embodiment of that. Oh, it is. Now, the next band, uh, for the uninitiated, could they could confuse it for perhaps one of those um, British bands that we talked about with your first track, but in fact, it's not. Tell us about them. <laughs> So this is the Triffids. Oh, I think, I hope my brother's name gets a credit here somewhere because, again, he had moved back home and he'd sent me, I think the Triffids, there must have been a documentary here, then a West Australian band. Yeah. And he'd sent over the doco and the CD. And at the same time, so Dan and I, you know, we'd bought a, a flat in West London and we'd done it up and had been there for quite a period of time. This is now 2008. And we thought, oh, it's... It's time to go home, missing home, missing parents, missing family. And either you stay or you go when you get to that point in London. You, yes. You know, because my accent had started to change. <laughs> oh, really? Was it changing, Pooh? I like to think of it as just 
being able to survive socially so right. that people can go, oh, you're, you're Australian. Yeah. Uh, I was just trying to fit in. <laughs> I Perhaps you were fitting in too well. I think so. Oh, got rid of it fairly quickly. Uh, and we, <laughs> we also just desperately wanted some space. And so we'd, we'd made the move and to, we'd made the decision to do it and sold the flat and packed everything up and popped it in containers. And uh, I'd been playing this CD a little bit uh, and you know, really enjoyed the story of this band. But I'd gone to uh, say farewell to one of the guys I'd worked with at a pub near Westminster Station, kind of in the shadow of Big Ben. Really fantastic pub. You could imagine it's seen every sort of scandal under the sun and sitting out the front having a pint and saying goodbye to, to him and then went to Westminster Station with Down, which is a beautiful station, and standing on the platform waiting for the train to come in and put this, we'll just put Shuffle on my iPod at the time. Yeah, that great. Dates it. Yeah. Uh, and this song came on and I just, it'll surprise you, Al, I cried. Oh. I burst into, I just did floods of tears because it was a real grief. It was a breaking up yeah. with this place that I really, I mean, I could, I could get from, North to south, to east to west, without looking at the tube. You know, I knew how to get across it with my with my eyes closed yeah. because of the work I'd done. I knew all these inside secrets. You know, I knew where it felt like it had a bit of power and control over the city. Oh, I just felt like I was a part of it. Yeah. you know, because you can go there and be whoever you want. Yeah. So that was so I was very sad to leave that goodbye in a way. So, and look, the opening line of this, it just really it just hit, hit home quite a lot. Uh, what is the opening line? No foreign pair of dark sunglasses can ever shield you from the light that pierces your eyelids, the screaming of the gulls. Which I just like that's that that is you know this, the the light that was something that just didn't exist in the UK you know the summer the the, the Australian sunlight. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, there's a new doco out that came out last year um, about his life. It was made by. It's called Bright, uh, Love in Bright Landscapes. It was made by the Triple R host, Jonathan Alley, who um, was his first film. So, um, yeah, I think you should check that one Have out. you seen it? I haven't seen it. Oh, I want to see it. Yeah, yeah, we definitely, definitely need to. Um, you talked at the start about these songs being uh, curated and thought through a lot. How much is it uh, an emotional reaction or how much is it about to the song specifically, or how much is it about time and place, do you think? I think if it was to be a list of songs that I like just because they were great songs, we would probably need a longer podcast. Yes. Because there's so many fantastic songs. And a lot of them are pinned to memories, but often they come off these songs, you know. So Faithless certainly has a whole sort of... It's got its own playlist off that. Yeah, absolutely. And Supergrass does, you know, with Pulp and Blur. You know, even Radiohead, I guess. Uh, And this one, this one's very, very, like, literally can just pinpoint it to a moment. Yeah. You know, standing on that platform. Yeah. Track four, Who, Song... And why this over a myriad of ones from this band? <laughs> from this band, exactly. Great question. So this is Sarah with Fleetwood Mac. And uh, so uh, 2013, 2014, uh, Dan and I had our first child. And gosh, you do have, I mean, it's a busy time, obviously, having a kid and changing your life, but you have a little bit more time on your hands. I thought you took it in your stride very easy, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I had enough time... And I was able to make a, um, a, like a 
a playlist, a feeding playlist really for sort of the 3am feeds. And I guess the backdrop is uh, with, with having Isabel and having worked in the UK and having, I guess, been a part of seen a lot of those the the terrible news stories that I covered while I was there the really awful ones that that uh those awful stories just because I wasn't sleeping particularly well really came back and I really struggled with anxiety and I was I was not in a great place and so I had this lovely little playlist that in the middle of the night I would put on while I was feeding Isabel and of course when you're trying to feed a child you're meant to be quite happy and you know feeling all the love for the child and I often struggled with that because of the anxiety and the thoughts um, and so I had some beautiful music by a guy called Lars Danielson who is Scandinavian and he had a sort of jazz instrumental um, album called Liberetta which I absolutely loved but in amongst that was this particular song and you know the lyrics in it I don't know what you know, often there's so much behind Fleetwood yeah. Mac lyrics. I don't want to know what they were meant to be about. For me, it was really about just feelings, this sort of drowning in the sea of love for this, you know, gorgeous little creature yeah. that sort of had turned up. And so I love this song. Every time I listen to it, I'm up at 3 a.m., you know, the only person awake in the world. Yeah, yeah. So there's something very alone about that, but at the same time you're doing a lot of bonding mm. with your child. Did this track just come up or had you selected it? Oh, well, look, Fleetwood Mac was always played. We weren't, you know, um, we may not have played, Mum and Dad may not have played the Beatles, but they always played Fleetwood Mac. So we always had it around. Um, and it always seemed to turn up in the UK. I learned a lot more about the band and then uh, had just obviously had a bit of time on my hands being back here and being able to, I guess, access you know, with a bit more streaming a lot of the albums that I didn't actually own physical copies of. And I just love Fleetwood Mac. I mean, mm. who doesn't love Fleetwood Mac, quite frankly? Yeah. Uh, and I just narrowed it down, really. I curated it down to this song because it was the most chill yeah. for sort of 3am. Yeah. And, even, and, and at the time when you were listening to this, it took you back to London and that time. What about when you listen now? Uh, no, I guess it just takes me back to that feeling. Of, yeah, of sitting with sitting with her and looking out the window and probably being a little gold and hoping that I didn't step on any creaky floorboards on the way out of the room. Great. Stevie Nicks said the song was partially written about a good friend, Sarah, who married Nicks, Stevie Nicks's ex and bandmate Mick Fleetwood. Oh. However, Nicks' former boyfriend, Don Henley, <laughs> claimed that the song is about their unborn child. Oh, gosh. So there's definitely a melancholy in there, isn't there? Yeah. All right, track five. What's the last one? Oh, the last one. But not the least one. No. <laughs> what I love is that when you make these lists, it sort of serves up a whole bunch of ones afterwards. You know, yeah. And so it just keeps, you just go, yeah, it's a great, this, this, this next one that they're throwing on there for fun is fantastic as well. Uh, so what might not be completely obvious is that I love jazz music. I've had such a love of it for such a long time and I can remember watching <laughs> watching ER with my dad. ER? <laughs> ER. ER? You know, the George Clooney uh, television series of the 90s? Do you remember that? Oh, ER. ER, ER. I thought, hmm, I thought... Shall I, I do that again? I don't know. I was thinking Eeyore or something Eeyore. From, from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> ER. Well, it might be a London accent, mate. I don't know. ER. ER, gotcha. Mm. Watching ER with my uh, with my dad, and there was a particular episode where 
Clooney and someone else he was acting with drove off into the sunset with um, Dave Brubeck's Take 5 Great. behind it. And Dad and I looked at each other and Dad was like, I, I know this song. I'm like, well, who is this song, Dad? You, you're older than me. Yeah, you want to <laughs> know, man. Know. And so we sort of set about trying to find out who this song was and, um, you know, getting the CD and listening to it a lot. And I was able to see Dave Brubeck in London, which was a real treat. And I sort of very much thought of my dad while I was there. Um, and from there, you sort of go, oh, you know, Miles Davis, of course. Uh, I don't like, and this needs to be quite clear, I don't like sort of scat. Right. Cannot stand that. Okay. And if... So nothing too kind of um, anarchic. Why are they doing that? I'm sure there's an audience, but it's not my not my scene. That's a whole other podcast to understand <laughs> what the problem is there. But let's, yep, go, yep. yep. And like the program, people who program the songs at ABC Jazz, I, I listen to a lot, they, yeah. they'll kind of chill you right out, make you feel all nice and kind of mellow. And then they'll throw something in there like that yep. is, and just kills the mood. Equally a Hammond organ, not into that. Oh, wow, don't okay. Don't really, just don't like that. Don't like it? Go Quite on. specific. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just thinking about all the stuff I liked it. You know, better not bring that up. <laughs> no. uh, and uh, so 2019, ABC Jazz, and I heard this incredible voice come over and it was an American singer called Kurt Elling. And he is magnificent. His voice is it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary force of nature. And uh, I heard that he was coming out touring and we had two children by this stage and hadn't gone to see any live music for a while. So I said to Dan, right, we're going to go and see Kurt Elling, yep. Bird's Basement in London. Because uh, I used to drag him to a lot of jazz gigs in London. And did I say Bird's Basement in London? Or you Melbourne? did. You said London. Sorry, Bird's Basement in Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you snuck off quickly with two kids, I'm impressed. <laughs> We didn't. It was just a night out and a cheap <laughs> meal in Chinatown. <laughs> uh, and um, he comes up and it's a, it's a really nice little venue and he comes up in his beautifully tailored three-piece suit. I, I think he'd been doing something like 200 days on the road by this stage. It was, I think Trump was still in power and he had some pretty sort of strong feelings about him. But he was this really generous old school entertainer, you know, really great on the banter, really generous and inclusive and with a voice that just, oh, to die for. So I could have picked any number of Kurt's songs because I cried, there's a theme here, at his concert because it was just just beautiful. His lyrics, the stuff he writes as well as the songs that he covers. Uh, and then during lockdown, he started doing these little live uh, sort of video casts that you could you know, link into. Uh, on uh, on Facebook, of all places, of him in his little studio apartment or his little apartment in New York, and he's he's just got this fantastic Chicago accent, and he's um, you know drinking his gin, and and he's just a a really lovely guy. And this particular song has a lot of history behind it. There's been a lot of covers of it, but this just makes me sort of melt and relax every time I listen to it. So and what is the song? So this is River Man, and it's Lee. Rittner, I hope I'm gonna I'm gonna get that wrong. Lee Rittner, uh, doing doing the, the music and Kurt on the vocals. You obviously favour. It sounds like you favour jazz with vocals, uh, generally. I mean, this 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 evoked Chet Baker for me. Ooh. Would that Ooh. be fair? Sure. Yeah, uh, and and just in terms of research, it's a Nick Drake song. Yes, it is. So, because yes. um, there's, 
you know, when you do playlists and you might just hit like a, a maybe an artist and you go, just play that radio of that artist, yeah. you know, and then it'll be algorithms will compute and so forth. So Nick Drake will come up a few times in a few of my algorithms and I sort of don't really know his stuff, but actually seeing this, it makes sense. And you could see how a pop record becomes a jazz one in, with his lyrics and etc. Mm, absolutely. There's also with this song and probably the jazz you like, there's a sense of late night hotel lobby bar with the singer Ooh. jazz. Oh, if that's what you're getting from it, that's fine. Yeah. Who am I to cut Maybe it's the Drake Hotel in Chicago. <laughs> it could be. When I listen to this, I think of, um, of like a field somewhere, actually. I get sort of a little bit of a, like an American small country town, someone blowing in on a bus. Okay, so... When you look back on all your five, and obviously there were things you left out and you didn't want to have to leave out, but that was my awful brief. Um, what, what, what do you look at when you see the whole piece together? I mean, I'm a little concerned that there isn't as much gender balance in my list. I'm sure if I had ten songs to choose from, I would have sorted that out. Uh, definitely, you know, the optimism and the, the youthful kind of naivety of Supergrass through to sort of faithless and, you know, that drive and energy that happened. Um, and then the, the, yeah, the sort of the biggest breakup of my life really, I guess, was London through to, you know, the, that sort of, I'm going to seem like I'm slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit, yeah. Prue, thank you, for, thank you for sharing. And thanks for listening. Prue's Spotify playlist will be in the episode notes of the show. Uh, if you're enjoying, or even if you're not, please subscribe and give us a good rating. Five stars or more would be just fine. This has been Songs in the Key of Life. Thanks for listening. First album you ever bought. <laughs> Lily was here. Bye. I can't remember, but it's, it's a saxophone song. Do you remember it? No. No, I'm a terrible singer. Uh, well, you would know it if you heard it. it was very big and that was the first album I bought. Well done. What was <laughs> <laughs>